questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Imagine a post-apocalyptic world beside the ruined buildings of our own civilization. St. Peter's Basilica, the Taj Mahal, those really great Art Deco skyscrapers like the Empire State Building, and even the original Penn Station, dwell savages in mud huts. The savages see the buildings every day, but they never compose legends about how they were built by the gods in a lost golden age. No, they say they themselves could totally build things just as good or better. They just choose to build mud huts instead because they're more stylish. This is a setup for what is becoming one of the most popular conspiracy theories right now, Tartaria. It is true believers say we are those savages. We live in the shadow of the Taj Mahal, Art Deco skyscrapers, etc. But our buildings look like squares with not that much attention to detail, and our structures could last about 100 years. Or as I've said in the past, those who build the more traditional, classical, and ornate buildings love us. And those who build the new so-called modern buildings hate us. It seems we suffered some kind of apocalypse a hundred-ish years ago. Our elites are keeping it quiet and have altered the records, but they haven't been able to destroy all the buildings of the lost world. They have tried. World War I, World War II come to mind. Their cover story is that technology and wealth levels have not returned. And those kinds of buildings have just, quote-unquote, gone out of style. People say that conspiracy theories are sometimes sublimated expressions of critiques of our society. According to a National Civic Art Society survey, it found that Americans prefer traditional and classical buildings to modern ones by about 70% to 30%, regardless of political affiliation. In a poll of America's favorite architecture, 76% of buildings selected were traditional and classical. A study of courthouse architecture determined that most non-architects dislike modern design and have done so for almost a century. Yet 92% of new federal government buildings are modern. So there's a genuine mystery to be explained and explored here. If people prefer traditional architecture by a large margin, then why have we stopped producing them? There are certainly more questions than answers, but once you open your eyes, once you see, you can't unsee. Between fires, floods, pandemics, and wars, millions have died, and most structures were destroyed. Some are still there for you to see. Look at St. Petersburg in Russia. Could the next world war destroy what is left of the old world? Question everything while you still can. And that is what we do on Veritas. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today. We also have rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Veritas and Sanitas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. 
called by Wired Magazine an authority on the hermetic and alchemical traditions, an erudite conspiracy hunter, Jay Whitener is a renowned author, filmmaker, and scholar, considered to be a modern-day Indiana Jones for his ongoing worldwide quests to find clues to mankind's spiritual destiny via ancient societies and artifacts. His body of work offers a great insight into the circumstances that have led to the current global crisis. Jay Whitener is also a director and producer known for Deep Space, The Last Avatar, and Infinity, The Ultimate Trip, Journey Beyond Death, and others. His website is jwhitener.com, and his own show is on YouTube, and it's titled Reality Check. And directly from Southern Colorado, I would like to welcome Jay Whitener. Hello, Jay, and welcome back. How are you? Hey, Mel, it's good, good to be back. It's been 12 years since I interviewed you first, and I just the first thing I want to say is this. I remember when I interviewed you first, I asked you what really, what was the eureka moment for you in all of this, and... I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, you said something along the lines, I read the book, The Mystery, uh, the Mystery of the Cathedrals by the mysterious French alchemist Falconelli. Am I saying that right? Yep. And I'm saying this because a lot of information lately, Tartaria, the mud flood, all this resets in the past. I was thinking that I just found out a couple of years, but now I'm thinking that you are the one who started with all of this and Falconelli. Do you think there's a correlation between Falconelli and all of this stuff that's coming out now about cathedrals and, and the ancient architecture or impossible architecture rather? Uh, I absolutely believe there's a most definite connection. I'm glad that it's finally getting out. Um, <clears throat> so what we, what we do with Falconelli is we, he wrote two books, mystery of the cathedrals and dwellings of the philosophers the second book was like a travel log where Falconelli goes to different alchemists' houses, uh, both famous and not so famous alchemists. And, um, and, and, and you know, and for some reason, he just goes to all these houses and then he t has, you know, drawings made of, of the houses. And then that's basically the book. So what I did was I went to all these houses or mansions, really, castles in um in uh, france and um it was this was in uh, probably 99 or 90 yeah 99 it's same year that stanley kubrick died and um uh i began realizing that architecture <clears throat> was alchemy and that you could build a room or a building where you were transferring etheric energy down into the room causing you know kind of a a healing place and a place where vitality is renewed and and that's what the cathedrals were and that's what these alchemists mansion houses were uh they were specially built in that tartarian fashion uh, with the spires and, and which draws down the telluric energies and um and it, it, that the whole entire civilization was massive and it was everywhere and it has been destroyed. And it was literally um, almost all of Russia, China, <clears throat> you know, um, the Great Wall of China has these rooms about every 300 yards or so, there'll be a little room where the guards 
can go to get out of the rain and snow, right? And um, the fascinating thing is, is that the rooms where the guards go are on the uh, not on the China side. In other words, they're on the other side of the wall, the side facing supposedly the enemies. So that brings to mind as to whether the Great Wall of China was designed to protect uh, China from hordes, or was it designed to keep the Chinese out of, uh, of Tartaria, which was just north of that. So we see that there was this gigantic alchemical civilization that was all over the world in Japan and Australia, uh, China, <clears throat> Russia, everywhere, uh, including probably the United States. <clears throat> and this al uh, alchemical uh, uh, civilization uh, was completely wiped out of history, completely. And we don't even know how it was wiped out. We only know from hints from Falconelli that there are books that will tell you the truth, but you have to find them. I haven't found them. And I've been on a mad dash look. And I haven't found any books that talk about, because here's the thing, these buildings are all still around. So they, they would have crumbled into the ground for the most part, been done thousands of years ago. But they weren't, and they aren't. And, and so they look like they were built like, you know, six or seven hundred years ago, like the cathedrals were. And, you know, we have to ask ourselves, you know, who funded all this and, 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 where, and where did they go? Where did those people go? And why is their history completely uh, gone? And we know the Russians, uh, the KGB had a special... Uh, a bureau that was designed just for the sole purpose of removing Tartarian history from uh, from history books. And so they were around for about 60 years, just destroying all remnants of, uh, of the history of this incredible country, or whatever it was. And, um, and something, someone overthrew that, uh, that civilization inherited the buildings, but didn't know how to make them work anymore. And so uh, they just uh, kind of refurbished the buildings to suit their, uh, their current needs, and uh, the buildings kind of got uh, turned off, you might say, or grounded. And now today, Shark Cathedral has been given a metal roof, so it's been shorted out. It no longer works. Notre Dame's roof has been burned, and they're probably going to replace it with some kind of metal, and that's going to uh, ground out Notre Dame. <clears throat> and so we're seeing that because we're so lame and stupid, we don't even know what we're doing, and uh, we've lost an incredible civilization that's been drained away, and um, it's, it's a real pity because <clears throat> we're literally replacing these buildings with metal and steel buildings, which are the exact opposite. They actually repel the etheric powers that are all around us, the plasma energy. And um, and so we're killing ourselves, essentially. It seems that once you open your eyes to these buildings, and before you know it, you see every building more or less the same. This is prettier. This is, you know, a square. It's probably been made in the last 40, 50 years. Once you open your eyes, and I was just uh, recently in New York City again, and I started walking the streets, and 
noticing, noticing so many of these buildings. And of course, <clears throat> they have the, the aged copper. It's oxidized on top. It's kind of greenish, bluish. But you could tell that at one point it was just pure copper. And I saw, I took a picture of this magnificent building in New York City. And right in front of it, there's a, a parking lot, a one, you know, hourly parking lot. So the old world meets the ugly new world. But do you think the last two world wars were done to destroy the old world? Oh, well, definitely. And, you know, the firebombing in uh, Germany of the towns, especially um, Dresden. I forget now. Dresden had the most beautiful. Go Google Dresden 1900 and go to images and look at Dresden, what it looked like. And tell me if this wasn't the most beautiful city uh, ever, maybe. And um, and it was firebombed, and yeah, that's exactly right. And they, uh, wow, it's just been awful. And it's the same forces that are at work that are both, you know, uh, in the KGB, removing history, and also the same forces that are running the banks <clears throat> and um, uh, rewriting history and uh, uh, choosing to uh, uh, say with their science that the material world is the only world that exists. And so we're kind of caught with this very corrupt group of people who, um, you know, came came out of Central um, Europe and, um, and more or less killed all of the old civilization. And again, it's an untold story. We don't have it in our history books or anything. So we can't even tell you when this happened, really. And, and, and then there's the other problem. And this is a, this is a, a real daunting uh, problem. I know people will say that you can go a thousand years without advancing anything. But if you actually look at the years 400 AD when Rome fell to 1400 AD when the first ships started sailing out of Spain and Portugal to go around the world and discover the world, you'll see that um, there isn't one advancement in anything, not in weapons, not in ships, not in uh, architecture, not in the way that we build. Um, it's as if there's like a thousand years where everything either stopped or something. And I suspect that once we figure out the reason why we didn't have any advancements in any of the technologies uh, that were, you know, were the same exact technologies a thousand years later, then we'll also have the answer to what happened to this mysterious civilization that uh, vanished and left behind these buildings, which... Frankly, we cannot build today. Um, we don't have the artisans. Uh, we don't have the people that can sculpt and do the brickwork. And <clears throat> we just don't have it. And um, so, you know, we're not going to get it back. So a, a real terrible thing happened to us. And I don't know when. I suspect it happened around 1000 AD is what I think. Just about 1000 years ago, I think is when... This thing happened, and um, I believe that 
when Pope Sylvester II took the uh, popery, uh, that was when the rewriting of everything began. And uh, why they rewrote it, I don't know. But it could be that they were trying to rewrite the calendar so that they would be the leaders in the year 1000. So they, because they thought that was when Jesus would return, because he said he would come back in a millennia. And so they figured that it was 1033 would be the year that Jesus would return. And so they wanted to be, Otto wanted to be the emperor, and Sylvester wanted to be the pope. And they sort of started massaging history and dating to get this to match, is what I suspect. But how I can prove any of this is way beyond, you know, my my abilities because, you know, limited resources and time. I can't I don't I can't travel to Europe like I used to and be able to go through books and libraries and, and, and search because the, the COVID just kind of destroyed everything and uh, I don't want to go there now. So it's a tough one. And yes, you're right. I, it was really Fulcanelli uh, that brought out the fact that there were mysterious group of people built the cathedrals and that they were uh, uh, alchemy. The, the buildings themselves were alchemical. And uh, they uh, uh, finally it got spread out into the larger public. And I'm very, very thankful for all the researchers that are going out and doing it. But I want to caution all of you, um, do not use the buildings from the World's Fairs as some of your examples. Those buildings are just Hollywood sets. They're made out of plaster. They're thrown up really quickly. They're used molds. Um, you know, the Chicago World's Fair was built in three years before 1892 when it opened. The entire Chicago had been burned down by the greatest fire the United States had ever seen in 1871. There was no buildings left. It was completely fried. Jackson Park, where the World's Fair took place in 1892, was completely burned to the ground. All the trees were burned. Everything was burned. Nothing survived. So, uh, you know, it's a big misnomer within the community that these World Fairs were somehow these older buildings that they refurbished and then tore down. But what they did do, and I'm an eyewitness to this, they did tear down these old buildings that were in cities all across the United States and Canada um, in the 1950s and the 1960s. My parents' generation uh, completely destroyed all of the old parts of all of the downtowns in America. They were all torn down. I watched these amazing buildings that, you know, to this day, I can actually get on Google and look at these buildings and go, my God, you know, how did they build this? And, um, you know, there's all sorts of, you know, I'll, I'll, pick a, I'll pick a building that is just magnificent. And then, you know, in a town somewhere. And then I will go and try to find out the history of the building and everything. And I've done this now with three different buildings. And I swear to God, I could never find the history or pictures of it being built or anything. 
And they are really aged, um, much more than they would be if they were built in, say, 1860 or 1870. Um, the, the buildings that still exist. And, but I watched uh, entire city blocks go down. Uh, I, I was actually living in downtown Omaha, and they passed a law to raise all these buildings. And I literally watched... Um, I don't know, five or six city blocks of these Tartarian buildings completely torn down and crumbled. And and I lived in one of them. And they 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 said uh, they passed law, we'll save the arch from this building that I was living in because they, my, my building was also marked for takedown. And my building had um, was built, they said, in the 1880s. It had 12-foot doors. I'll never forget. It had, this is in the early 1970s, it had 12-foot steel doors as an entrance. The uh, rooms were all 14 feet high, which didn't make any sense to me because, you know, all the heat rises to the top in the winter, and it's cold there in the winter. Um, why would you build a 14-foot high room when the entire building was this way? And so I've actually experienced these buildings, and um, you know, this one was short-circuited also because the people that owned it didn't know what to do with it. But these buildings are everywhere. And um, they do have uh, uh, odd uh, features to them. There's a really old building in downtown Colorado Springs that I went to see. I, saw, I was walking past it one day about a year ago. And I said, oh, I'm going to go check this building out, you know. So I go, and again, you know, it's got the, it's really weathered, and it's got the 14-foot-high rooms and the building. And then I went up to the outside, and the windows to the basement were like seven feet below street level. Um, and so they literally had to build a culvert around the window, right, because it was so far down, and I thought that is really stupid because when it rains, this thing is going to fill up, right? I, I still to this day can't understand it, but it really did look as if the building had been somehow eight or nine feet of mud had been right. around it, and they just had to dig it out, uh, uh, you know, later. And I, you know, for the life of me, I never thought that I'd ever be saying any of this stuff, but. The more I look into it, the more I realize that there's something amiss here. You know, how can you build, how can it take 120 years to build a cathedral in Europe, but it takes 10 years to build a cathedral in Salt Lake City with the same building materials? No electricity, just horseback and oxen, ropes and ladders, and, 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 they, and they did it. And they do the same in Omaha. They build St. Um, Catherine's Cathedral, which is the big cathedral in Omaha, and you can't really find hardly any records of it being erected. <clears throat> and so that's what I would tell researchers is find a building in your area that matches all these uh, qualities. It has the, it's old, it's um uh, it's got uh, maybe spires on it, uh, or it did at least at one time, and then try to you know go into the city records and try to find um, if you can get a um, uh, you know a, uh, a history of it, and pictures of it being built, and you know, and, and, and I bet that you probably can't. No, you can't. And you know, this is you're opening more doors. I love it. You have you been to Barcelona? 
Pardon me? Have you been to Barcelona, Spain? I have. Beautiful. So you, you remember the Sagrada Familia, the, the church there. That This yep. thing has been in, under construction since 1882. <laughs> And there's, it's still under construction. But then, folks, I want you to go to Google Images. Yeah, sometimes Google is good for certain things. Go to Google Images and just type in Penn Station, old Pennsylvania station, and take a look at it. This was built between the years 1904 and 1910, allegedly, when we only had horse and buggies and maybe some cars. And it was demolished in 1963, I believe, so it only lasted for... 50, what is it, 53 years? But take a look inside. Do you really think that this was built at that time? And I've seen, you probably have seen this too, the panoramic picture of San Francisco in the late 1800s where you can see the entire city. You hardly see any people. But that was supposed to have been built in just a few years, the entire city of San Francisco. And again, I used to think this is this can be possible. Why would they be lying to us? But as you said, the Bolsheviks, they had a, their own division to completely eradicate anything that had to do with Tartaria. You know, all our history, all these buildings, I believe they harnessed, harnessed electricity from the ether. The higher they were, the, the, the more electricity they would take. Also, instead of seeing, um, what is it, uh, fireplaces, they had something else. They were able to to warm the entire building by having perhaps a copper around the inside the cement, and that cement was hardening with time. They would t last for hundreds and hundreds of years. And what you said about the 1,000 years, Jay, what if those 1,000 years never existed? It may be true. Um, I, I don't know. Um, you know, it's just like, how do you investigate? Where do you even begin? investigating something like this you know i do know that you know there the dating system it did switch around 1400 or so where it was uh, uh it was a uh, uh, i instead of a one in front of the numbers and in, in, in the name of our, in the year of our lord or a j you know, or a j yeah you're jesus right and um <clears throat> so you know, it begs so many, so many questions, and uh, uh, what happened? And we know that um, we know that we've been hit by uh, plasma storms, um, and we know that uh, when meteorites go by, when we go through the tail of a comet. We frequently have gigantic fires, and uh, there's kind of a hard correlation there, but I have no idea why. But um, and we know that the greatest fires in United States history happened between 1820 and 1920, and we're talking some serious fires here. Uh, not the same day that the Chicago fire happened in 1871. There was a gigantic fire in Upper Michigan, a gigantic fire in Wisconsin, and somewhere else. I believe there was like four fires uh, within you know a th uh, 500 square miles of each other that were the most bizarre fires 
uh, from the witness descriptions ever. The fire came from above. The tops of the trees got lit first. It sounded like a hurricane, they said, when it was approaching. They said, they said it sounded like a gigantic hurricane was approaching. And then a, a, a 80 mile an hour wind would suddenly hit, you know, a little small town and the fire would come from the sky and it would burn the tops of the buildings down and and the fires would melt buildings in, in like uh, Quebec and in Boston and in San Francisco. And San Francisco not just melted the buildings, it looks like a nuclear bomb went off or something, uh, if you look at those pictures. And in Chicago, I mean, how could you have a fire, all the buildings were stone, so yes, the insides would burn because the insides were wood, but why would the outside burn? And, and that, that has to be a pretty hot fire. And it, it didn't just stop in, in uh, 1920. I mean, in 2020, there was fires in Northern California and in Oregon that are still really difficult to explain. And almost like directed fires of some kind. And uh, so, you know, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what, you're right about the Bolsheviks, too, by the way. I'm glad you said it, not me. But um, you mean the, the same, the way, the same Bolsheviks that are here now? Pardon me? Do you mean the same Bolsheviks that are here now trying to do the same thing? Yeah. So the, that's all they'd ever do is destroy history because, um, well, I don't know. They're. Uh, I really don't like Bolsheviks, and um, uh, uh, I, I, I actually can't even, I understand them because of their actions, but I can't explain their psychology at all, except that they seem like, I don't know, I, I, can't, I can't say that the, the, when I read Bolshevik history, it makes my hair stand on end. And I fear that the Bolsheviks are go taking, going to try to take over, you know, this country. And um, that's I, what I just I, said. I that's exactly what I just said. The same Bolsheviks are here now trying to do the same thing. But this time they want to do it worldwide. Right. They blame the United States for the, all their failures in the past. They say that we interfered and and caused them to fail. If we just get rid of the United States, we'll finally succeed. But it can't succeed because it's inherently um, not a grassroots um, phenomenon. It didn't happen from grassroots. It was Rothschilds appointed Karl Marx to write it up. And then Marx and Engels got together and and kind of even made it more uh, substantial. So, um, so you know, the whole thing is uh, almost feels anti-human, I guess. And um, you know, Falconelli assures us in Mystery of the Cathedrals, he goes out of his way to assure us that the Dark Ages were not the Dark Ages. And he says that they were anything but the Dark Ages. So the Dark Ages supposedly ended around 1,000 to 1,100 A.D. when the great warming of Europe occurred. So around 1,000 A.D., Europe began warming up to the point where you could grow grapes like in Scotland. And um, this precipitated, you know, supposedly the great building of the cathedrals um, and this whole thing. Uh, but, you know... <laughs> 
what were the dark ages? Okay, it fell into Rome, fell in 400, and for 600 years, uh, nothing happens. Just nothing happens. And there's a, I guess people just kind of meet out in existence, and you know, there's you know, really not much going on. And then all of a sudden, everything starts happening in 1000 AD, and it's like the whole place gets charged up, and everything starts happening again. And, you know, you can't even really track leaders and popes and stuff before 1000 A.D. It's very difficult. And, again, you ask yourself, was Charlemagne really for real? Is he a made-up character? Um, That would certainly, you know, Charlemagne is is a made-up character uh, who is about seven different people put into one. There's no way that Charlemagne could have done all the things that Charlemagne did in his life in 62 years, period. No way. And, and especially not in those days. So the whole thing, you know, just speaks of some kind of, yeah, some kind of massive cover-up that it was successful. That's what's kind of scary about it. It was incredibly successful cover-up. And let's not forget what the British did in India. So when the Indians uh, did their rebellion against the British, and I think it was, what, 1870, something like that, the British, they friggin' destroyed the place. I mean, they went from temple to temple and just used cannonballs and blew the hell out of everything. And if you look at the pictures of the temples in India, pre-India uh, 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 Civil War, um, we're talking... We're talking breathtaking. We're talking 300-foot walls. We're talking gigantic rotundas, um, incredible statues. I mean, it was just like the British were just hell-bent on destroying it all, making sure that the the Indians had no uh, idea of what their history is. And now it worked because they don't. Well, I can see this happening in Europe a lot, but in the United States, when you see all these buildings in major cities like uh, New York, uh, Illinois, San Francisco, you wonder, could these buildings have been here before the, honestly, Jay, and this may sound ridiculous, but I even wonder if Christopher Columbus is a made-up uh, character. I don't know if he's made up, but he was definitely, first off, he wasn't really a Templar. So he put the Templar flags on his masts for a reason. And the reason was, is that the Templars had already been in America. Uh, Henry Sinclair uh, uh, had been in America uh, in 1300 and in 1200. Uh, The Sinclairs had been going back and forth. The Templars had been in America uh, 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 for a long time before Columbus. They gave Columbus the the, uh, maps. And 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 because the Templars were friendly with the Indians, uh, Columbus put a Templar mast on his uh, thing, a cross on his mast, so that the Native Americans would uh, be cool with him. Uh, and 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 um, and so that was even designed. So the Templars, the Templars are part of this. I don't know what again what part they played. But I believe the Templars and the Tartarians are somehow related to each other. And we know it was the Templars that you know brought alchemy into Europe and um, 
of finance to buildings of all these big buildings all over Europe and uh, where they got their money, how they did it. Uh, nobody knows. But, um, you know, I believe, for instance, that um, that San Francisco was a Templar outpost, a Templar Tartarian outpost. And that <clears throat> I have pictures of San Francisco that were taken panoramas that were taken in somewhere between in the 1850s. We'll just conclude that they were taken in 1859 to give them as much time as possible to do all of this, okay? So we'll say all these pictures were taken in 1859. Okay, San Francisco was uh, became a municipality in 1848, became a city in 1849, had 1,000 people in it in 1849. By 1851, it had 10,000 people because of the gold rush, and by 1859, it had about 25,000 people in it. You're going to tell me that 25,000 people, mostly miners, put and built literally hundreds of buildings, at least two, but I think three. I can't tell. But at least two cathedrals, uh, and they did it all in 10 years. That's what history is trying to tell us. Also, if you start going through the history of San Francisco, I used to live there, so I have a kind of a, a, a soft spot in my heart for San Francisco. If you look at the uh, history of San Francisco, they definitely, you know, they'll be, okay, uh, 1881, the St. Francis Hotel uh, started construction. Okay, great. That, that could be, yeah, yeah. Okay, 1890, the uh, Bank of America started construction. Okay, okay, okay. That's all great and, and fine, but what about the other 800 buildings? How come there's no nothing in the history books about them? And when they started getting constructed, what about the cathedrals that are there? There's clearly at two cathedrals, at least in the 1850s in San Francisco. So you're telling me they built entire cathedral. And this is a cathedral with those Russian uh, balls, right. all the pup yep. balls. This cathedral has these those Russian puff balls on it. Orthodox. Now, think about this. San Francisco was the first white people in Northern California were the Russians. The Russian River is just north of San Francisco. We bought that land from the Russians. That's where we bought all that land from. The Russians had it. So what were the Russians doing there, right? Or the Russians were the Tartarians, and, okay, and and they were there, and so the whole thing gets more and more uh, incredible as you examine it. Well, again, folks, go to Google and just type 1877 panoramic photo of San Francisco, and what Jay's saying, 1840s, the, the city was founded, so in 30-some years, take a look at that panoramic picture and tell me if that was built by miners using rudimentary tools in just two and 20, 30 years, even in today's day and age would be impossible. Yeah, I've also have, I've seen a manifest for a boat that's landed in Honolulu in 1836. And on the manifest, it said that it left the port of San Francisco in 1836. There was no port in San Francisco in 1836. The port in San Francisco didn't arrive until in the 18, uh, uh, early 1850s when they, the miners started coming in. They put the port in really fast. That's what they say anyway. But, you know, um, 
the whole thing in San Francisco is like, really, if you can unwind that one and unpack that one, then you can figure out, I think, all the rest because it just doesn't seem possible. And the way that, you know, uh, forget the guy's name, the first Spanish explorer coming up the West Coast supposedly went right by the Golden Gate and didn't didn't go in to the bay. Does that make sense? Come on. <laughs> Juan Rodriguez um, Cabrillo. Yeah, when you when you're when you're when you're uh, when you're out at sea, and you see an opening like that, first thing you do is you lower a cup down to the water in front of the opening, and you taste the water. If the water is sweeter than the salt water, you know that you've hit a you know a freshwater opening, and you go in there get water. But you know they didn't do that; they went right by it. But did they go right by? I say, no, they didn't. I say they knew exactly what they were doing because where did the Templars go when they left uh, when they left uh, uh, France, Spain, and you know, and then all of a sudden, uh, as soon as the Templars go to Spain, then all of a sudden Spain becomes a a, a shipping empire and an exploring empire, and so does Portugal, where the where the Templars also went. And um, so there is this odd connection between the Templars uh, and this ancient uh, Tartarian thing. And the Templars were probably a secret society within Europe and had been a secret society for maybe a really, really long time before anyone knew that they really, truly existed. And I, you know, I, 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 about that, after that, I can't, the history gets so vague, I can't really tell you more than that. I really have started get in, getting into the Templars and the Hospitallers and why they were disbanded by uh, Pope uh, Clement V, the French Pope. But they kept moving around. They kept moving around to Spain, as you said, and then they went to Cyprus and then finally to Malta. And we hear all the time yeah. the Knights of Malta. And I've said this story before. We used to have a an American uh, who used to be working in law enforcement in Seattle many, many years ago. And apparently he started looking into corruption, just a, a quick story. And he was left for dead in Seattle, but he woke up and left the country to El Salvador. They thought he was dead. And then he remarried down there and he got in touch with me for years and started sending me all this incredible information. Uh, he was living very close to the largest U.S. embassy in the Western Hemisphere, which is in El Salvador. And the street or the avenue where it is is called the Knights of Malta Avenue. And he took pictures of cars, European cars getting into the embassy, all of them with Nazi signs. Any idea what this could be? The actual Nazi insignia in the U.S. embassy on the Knights of Malta Avenue in El Salvador. Well, I mean, you know, the Nazis would call themselves the Templars. Um, and uh, 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 the new Templars, they call themselves. So, you know, the, the, the um, let me put it to you this way, the, 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 um, the secret society presence in Central America, uh, especially Costa Rica, is huge. And, um, uh, I, and I don't know why. But it is. It's huge. And uh, also, it's got a huge presence in Argentina and Chile. 
There's a huge presence of these Templar, German, Europeans that are doing weird experiments and, um, you know, so I don't know. It's, it's, you read, um, uh, what was his name? Peter, uh, I can't remember his name. I can't remember. Anyway, I'll, I'll come up with it with, with his name in a minute, but he wrote a, he actually went to a, a, a German town in the, you mean Chile. Peter Lavenda? Yeah, Lavenda. Thank okay. you. And uh, good, good guy, great, great researcher. And you know, I, you know, that was a scary moment. But yeah, so the you know the their um, what what I think is going on is they're commandeering the ancient tunnel systems that are in the Andes and in the mountains in Central America. I think that's what's going on. They're commandeering it. There's a um, there's a lot of, uh, of literature about uh, the Germans taking uh, the tunnel systems in Peru um, and in Chile. And, of course, we know that the tunnel systems in the United States were taken by the U.S. government and the military. They got trains running around underneath the ground and stuff, and especially here in the American Southwest. So, um, yeah, we know that all this is real. I mean, it's not... It's not like um, a fable or something. We, uh, J, uh, John Dean, the guy that uh, turned code on Nixon, he wrote a, a book about his experiences working for Nixon. It was a big bestseller on the New York Times many, many years ago, late 70s maybe. And there's a passage in the book saying that one of his favorite things to do was to stay late at night and drink brandy with this a CIA guy whose name escapes me, who would regale us with stories about his explorations of the tunnel systems under New Mexico and Arizona. It was just a throwaway line, but very revealing throwaway line. So, yeah, these these guys are all connected in, and um, <clears throat> now these organizations are falling uh they're not they're falling away in power so you don't you know you don't have to be a freemason anymore to be president of the united states you don't have to be involved in any of the secret societies anymore to be involved in the united states because those secret societies that held these once great secrets are no longer the same they've been infiltrated by the bolsheviks and so now the Bolsheviks have infiltrated all the secret societies that were holding all these incredible spiritual secrets and have basically uh, ravaged them and gotten rid of all of the all of the interesting stuff and just left behind more like just a men's business club or something. And uh, so, you know, you can go become a Freemason. You're not going to learn anything. You're not going to be running the world or anything because they don't run the world anymore. A whole new group of people has taken over from these secret societies. And I think that's, you know, what, what 9-11 was about. I think, you know, if you were a 33rd degree or higher Freemasonry, Freemason on, you know, the evening of September 11th, uh, 2001, your first thought is, holy crap, the three main symbols uh, in, in our Freemasonic Lodge are Joachim and Boaz, two pillars, and a pentagon. 
That's in every Freemasonic lodge. That's what you have. You have you have two pillars, and then on the wall they'll have a pentagon, and that's their most sacred symbol. So that's why the pentagon was built on uh, crescent. Uh, they they uh, cracked the dirt for the building of the pentagon on September eleventh, nineteen forty one, exactly sixty years before September eleventh, two thousand one. And so this is some kind of holy day for whatever group this new group is. So I believe that September 11th was the destruction of the old guard and the insertion of a new guard, a new, uh, a new group that was taking over. And if you look at our world since 2001, you can see the corporations went from being basically Republican to being incredibly liberal Democrat. Yeah. You can see that all the institutions like our law enforcement agencies have all been taken over by these forces. Um, and we're at the cusp now where they are um, attempting to, to. So whatever you want to say about the Freemasons and the Templars and all those guys, they had a, they had a, a kind of a moral compass, and they believed in right and wrong, and they did conspiracies. I'm not saying they didn't, but you know they believed in paying their bills, and they believed in at least some rudimentary forms of justice. But these, this new group that's in, that's been in since 2001, these guys don't care about any of that. They're completely amoral. Uh, all they want is money and sex. And um, and uh, they've now taken over, I believe, almost every single institution we have, including now, sadly enough, science. So science has now been taken over, too. <laughs> and this group... You know, uses BS words like consensus. You know, well, science can't ever have a consensus. That's not what science is. Science isn't a vote. Give me a break. Science is experiment, and then see what happens. And, and if your experiment succeeds, you have to do the experiment again. It succeeds twice, and you have to do this over and over and over. And that's what science is. But science now changed. The whole thing has changed, and. Um, and now we're on the verge of uh, of uh, of uh, the one percenters uh, pulling the switch and uh, uh, most of the body. I'm losing you, by the way. Can you hear me? I'm uh, I'm, I'm losing uh, you, Jay. Yeah, can you, can you hear me? Yeah, you were you were cutting off. But what you were saying that really? yeah. Can you hear? I can hear you now. I can hear you now. So you think that we have been taken over since right. 2001. 2001, it feels totally different. We usually say, you know, B.C. or A.E. or A.D. Now they change that to, what is it, uh, uh, B.C.E. and A.C.E. So you think that we should be saying before 9-11 and after 9-11? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think if you look at... Uh well, if you look at movies, which I do, uh, I, I look at movies as, as a barometer or, or taking the temperature of your culture. So if a movie's a big hit, then I generally want to see it because I want to know why everybody's going to see this movie, right? So, you know, I, I, I look at it that way. Um, 
And uh, like if there's a big hit horror film, I go look at it because I know it's telling me something about the psychology of, uh, of, of the country or the world, whoever, wherever, you know, made this film popular. And if you look at the movies after 2001, movies were, 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 they still carried on pretty good until I believe 2005, 2006, when movies started losing their quality. And they they started losing their ability to tell a story. They started losing their ability to actually have good acting. Um, and the CI began invading the, the the landscape, and so everything started looking clunky and fakey, and um, just lost all movies lost all grand. Uh, by two thousand nine, when Avatar came. I think Avatar was probably the last, um, the last surge of old Hollywood, you might say, and it was all CGI, of course, which um, was now the, the the you know the rage everywhere. And um, and uh, but Avatar still at least had a, a decent story. And then after two thousand nine. Uh, Movies have just been terrible, and they just get worse and worse and worse. And I, I you know, I haven't seen a really good movie in years, and so you know, I, I think that's that's how I gauge it. And I can see that they're just not as well made as they used to be. They're not just not as well written as they used to be, and uh, there's a steady decline in, in the culture. And I, I believe that's because the same group infiltrated fully infiltrated the media business, Hollywood, and began injecting uh, propaganda into the movies. So after around 2005 or so, I would go to see a movie, and the first five minutes of the movie, I'd be trying to figure out what kind of political message this movie is trying to sell me. That never happened before. That never happened. I never had that happen. Well, look at it now. Just China China yep. owns so many movie theaters and movie production companies. And, I mean, you probably remember the movie Red Dawn from 1984. And then they remade it in the 2000s. And they had to stop production yep. and redo the movie because China said, hell no, you're not going to be putting us in that bad light. Change it to North Korea. So they had to change the whole thing. It, it, it was a flop of a movie, but if you look at the original one, so now we cannot say anything about China, and uh, even in the United States right now, freedom of speech. I mean, I, I'm going to be talking in code now because certain words, as you know, the AI flags it. But you know this alleged massacre that happened, and even by me saying alleged, that could get me in trouble. But the one where AJ was recently of a judgment of one billion dollars. And you know, there's some people who say that he's control opposition. Some people believe that he that he's not. I'm in the middle with this. But I think the bottom line is there was a message sent out to anyone who questions the narrative. Would you agree with that? Well, it's even more chilling than that. It's if you uh, speculate about a crime, it's saying that the victim of the crime can sue you. So how are you going to solve crime if you aren't going to? I mean. I don't even get it. For investigative journalists, that's what you do. You speculate. You wonder what happened. You wonder what 
this were what is I'm not saying that if I die in public I will be I can I can get by the victim of the crime but you think the victim of the crime would want me because the crime and speculate as to what's really going on it's chilling and you know I don't I don't I, I mean, all, all I want to say about all, all of that is I don't understand and AJ didn't defend himself I just I can't understand this. I mean, he didn't even he the broad I'm not going to get into it. But I wanted you to give that I mean, there's a lot of evidence I could have brought up that would have defended in my position. And we would have at least thrown doubt into the whole scene as I say there's a lot of odd occurrences and so I looked at that and I said, "Huh, that's weird that there's so many occurrences. I wonder what's really going on here." but he just kind of let roll right over him and I don't know why maybe he just thought it was a lost cause and it doesn't have a way but you know very chilling thing so we'll take a break Jay uh, tell us once again your website and your show and so on uh yeah uh, jaywidener.com and I have a show on YouTube called Reality Check and my films are at sacredmysteries.com and gaia.com excellent we have one more hour to come with jay whitener this is mel hostelrick and you are listening to veritas don't go anywhere thank you for listening to the first part of this important veritas interview to listen to the rest and all of our material proceed to the member section or join the veritas family by subscribing click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com subscribe today don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today. We also have rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Veritas and Sanitas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share the video. Click on the notification button to be alerted when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know.